You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Okay, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast, episode 34 today. So I'm Cameron Crane, executive editor for tvobsessive.com, and I'm joined by Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor for the site. How are you doing today, Ryan? Doing quite good, quite good today. Um, would you believe me if I told you that I once dyed my hair blue? Okay, sure. Why not? I did dye my hair once. I can't say that it was blue, but uh, you know, did the college thing where you dyed, dyed your hair. I was gonna say, how long ago was it? 25, 30 years <laughs> back when I back when I had hair, of course. So, you know, saying, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I was just seeing an interview with Almond Ross St. Brown, you know, the football player. Do you know his hair is Honolulu blue? Yeah, he's dyed it like yeah, Lions blue or Detroit blue. They need to change that to Detroit blue. Honolulu blue is what they call it. <laughs> Why do the Detroit Lions use a Honolulu blue color? They just do. I try. I tried like looking for some interesting answer one time, and it was like I found the answer. The answer was just like, oh, they picked it. The GM yeah, liked it. You know, like it was. It. It's like I like this color. Yeah. <laughs> I got curious. Is it my favorite football team? Yeah. You know, like, I got curious. Like, why is our lion blue? Yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's kind of a weird thing. But sure, I believe you had blue hair at one point. Yeah, I had a mohawk <laughs> at one point. Oh, I do believe that. There was like a little little mohawk. Yeah, <laughs> high school. Um, anyhow, that doesn't tie in so much to True Detective, which we're going to be talking about uh, today. Continuing our coverage of season four, aka. True Detective Night Country. This is part three. Again, there are no episode titles, although Ryan pointed out, I think it was last week, that for some reason it says TBA on the on the last couple parts. So, like, maybe we get episode titles just for the last two. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to dig into that in the um, latter part of the pod today, as per usual. First, talk a bit about what's been in the news this week, what we've been watching. Uh, all of that good stuff. Again, we are recording these a little bit early to put them out on Sunday night. So by the time you're listening to this, it is at least January 28th. Um, we'll cut your eye on the news this week, right? All right. Well, something on what you just said, breaking news here. We now have a part five list for the fifth episode. Oh. It's still TBA. For, for the it's still TBA episode. for the finale. I yes. Mean, <laughs> so so. The finale will be called like the yellow man emerges from the ice to answer all of our <laughs> questions. You're like, well, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Just to just to close that circle. No, I think the you know the biggest news of this entire week is certainly um, something that came out of uh, the Daily Show news. I think we talked a couple weeks back about how I was really thinking about just burying my head in the sand and not paying attention to to anything election related this year. Just was miserable thinking about it. Yeah. Now I've changed my tune. Now I will be watching oh, really? Daily Show every Monday night. John Stewart is back as a one. Uh, night a week host he will executive produce the rest of the week but they've convinced him to come back after his apple tv show uh fell through yeah i'm curious i'm curious i, I don't know if i'm you sound excited i don't know if i'm excited i've always had this view that maybe john stewart was very smart to step away when he did and yeah. i think it was the summer of 2015 um and he was doing the apple show we, we did it on that before how that got canceled it seemed like maybe because of some of the topics they wanted to get into. And in some ways, this feels like 
Well, you could say the stars are aligning, but in other ways, it feels like Daily Show's over here going like, we can't figure out who to host our show. <laughs> and Jon Stewart's over here like, well, I just got fired. Yeah, yeah. They they they, they did certainly, I think, align um, in terms of his availability, this being election year. He talked at length when he left in 2015 that he was just emotionally and physically exhausted, so he didn't want to do it for a whole week. So they're you know having these... Uh, sort of fill in spots the rest of the the week, so it does sort of a, a line for him to to come back. But I, the biggest I mean, thing I'm the, the biggest thing I'm curious about is in the background. There's some stuff about Roy Wood Jr. Hmm. and he he ultimately left the show because they've been doing this thing with rotating hosts, and I've at least gotten the impression that he wanted to be the host. Yeah. And for one reason or another, they didn't want to make him the host or they didn't want to compensate him enough to be the host. And here, I don't know the details and I, I veer, like, I, I don't want to veer into gossiping about it. Um, but I do wonder about that. And then in terms of The Daily Show as an institution, at some point, you're going to need a new host. And yes. you know, whatever you thought yeah. of Trevor Noah, he did manage to kind of make that show his own. Um so yeah, I'm curious what comes next, but for the moment, yeah, I, I, I am too. It, this is definitely not a long term thing. This is definitely not a full time thing for John Stewart. He's come out and and said that uh, they. The piece I read said that they have tried to get big names in the past, Amy Schumer, other big comedic names to come in and do this, and they've just been unsuccessful. So I think they're just looking at well, we can now sort of bought ourselves a year where we can do John Stewart in a rotating series of our uh, you know, sort of on the site reporters as these, as the other night anchors of this show, um, get the ratings up, get people interested in it again. And then we can hopefully get a big name in sometime in 2025. Yeah. I guess I just, part of me feels like give it to Roy Wood Jr. What are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm fairly confident that he did want to do it. I don't know. He was on the Pablo Torre pod and they were talking a little bit and he didn't directly say that, you know, yeah. but I think at one point he said something like they know where to find me. <laughs> so like I, you know, I, I don't know why that didn't work out, and one gets the feeling that Comedy Central didn't want him to be the host. Which I don't know. I think he'd be a pretty good host. Um, other news. Let's jump to the uh, peak TV thing. Yes. Um, so you know, there's some data in here, and I want to point to some of these numbers. But people are starting to say peak TV is over. Peak <laughs> TV is unpeaked. I've always been a little bit unsure about this term peak TV and whether it was meant to be a qualitative standard or a quantitative one or kind yeah. of both eat your content, you know. Um, but anyway, the numbers are down. But uh, as I was saying to you just before we got on the air here, I wanted to point out the actual numbers because mm -hmm. if, you, if you're just reading the headlines and things like this, you're like, oh, no, there's not going to be as much TV. True. It's down 24% from 2022 to 2023. Wow, that seems like a lot. Okay, but the actual numbers, 2021, 2022, they released 633 <laughs> new scripted TV series. And in 2023, that number went all the way down to 481. And so this is one point I want to make, because that is still a lot. What do you think about this, right? Yeah, and... I think there's an underrated word you just used, which is scripted TV series. This mm -hmm. is not account for 
others in different genres that don't make up this, for this, is, this is not including shark tank and stuff this is exactly. just so we're, we're we're clearly talking about a thousand series of television that will come out in, in a given year so in terms of peak whether you mean it as as a quantity i just you know i can't buy into that quality i guess we have to see with the proliferation of the streaming services and just sort of all sorts of things getting on the air maybe you could make that case but there's more than you could ever watch in in two or three years much less trying to fit it all into one year yeah and so um, a little couple more numbers how many tv series were ordered right and it's interesting here you also see not everything ordered ends up getting made in 2022, the number was 661 were ordered, mm-hmm. and in 2023, it was 418. That's down 37%, but again, this is still a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd want to have to like take the study further, and then it start becoming subjective almost along the way, or you need some kind of qualitative standard. So like, what, what percentage of these TV shows are any good? Yeah, yeah. Um, of course we can't, we can't kind of throw that out there, (laughs) but the thing I do find myself wondering as someone involved in this with the podcast, you know, running the website, tvobsessive.com and so on, right? Like I I should have gotten the number, how many shows did we write on last year? Right. Cause it certainly wasn't 481. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to kind of focus in on the things that we think are, are, are worth writing on and we're thinking about. But that is sort of my question. If the overall number goes down, um, you know, like maybe that means there's less bad TV, but mm, could it mean that there's less good TV? You know, I I do get the impression sometimes that um, the studio execs, they they maybe don't know the difference. They're just like throwing stuff at the wall and hoping to see what sticks. So Yeah, and I think that they often are again, this is just my opinion, they're reactionary and they are driven by historical information available to them as in, okay, we had this type of show or this genre of show or this, uh, you know, this reality show did well, let's do more of those. And they're just going to try to reinvent it every time as opposed to, you know, we've talked before about how surprising something like The Bear was, came out of nowhere no history. It's not IP. It's it's sort of this um, e- explosion of something that that didn't exist before and is not thought of to be something that's what's being pushed and pumped out right now, right? Yeah, another right. So that, that's, that's sort of another question. season of Fargo, more Vanderpump Rules, more game shows. You, you know, and the bear just sort of those type of things don't happen anymore. Yeah, you know, and I mean, at least Netflix has been doing this a while, maybe longer than others reverse engineering whatever mm-hmm. like they know what kinds of show will draw viewers algorithmically anyway and, and that's the question i find myself thinking about you know is it fewer tv series okay we're not getting some of these you know schlocky whatever dramas um or is it like only because the numbers got so high there ended up being space for shows like the bear or severance or like whatever mm-hmm. feels more unique more, yeah. more like they took a chance on this one um my worry would be if it is the latter but i'm hopeful i mean it's still a lot of tv hopefully there's still be plenty of stuff that's worth watching and worth thinking about worth talking about on here and so on 
Um, but you mentioned yeah, what David Chase said the other day, too. Right. It's it's more than we'll ever be able to cover. And David Chase, who's the creator of The Sopranos, he, he sort of indicated, at least in his own opinion, that this is a, after 25 years of Sopranos, sort of the end of the peak TV or prestige TV era. He just sees it's too, there's, there's too much. There is, the quality is too low. And there is so much trying to draw our attention. Whereas even back in 99, when Sopranos came out, you basically had a few cable channels, your network channels, and then HBO trying something that no one else would dare to try. And so it could stand out now so much harder to stand out. Yeah. I mean, I think that becomes kind of the question in a way because it's not TV, it's HBO. Right. It's not HBO, it's Max. Anyway, <laughs> um, but like, no, but precisely, I'm, I'm kind of glibly putting together something that I think is a deeper point, potentially, that HBO established itself as a brand where if a series was going to be on HBO, it was going to be like prestige TV, you know, yeah. that's yeah. the stamp of it. Um, and then some others got into that a bit as well, like AMC with Breaking Bad and then Mad Men. And to the extent that those very companies or brands have been moving away from this a little bit, HBO, qua HBO is trying to hold on somewhat, but I don't think AMC is. They're like, oh, Walking Dead all over the place. Here's a new crime drama, you know? Um, and the conflation of HBO with Max also... Right kind of undermines the idea of HBO, right? Um, yeah. I do appreciate the fact that HBO is somewhat successfully holding on to this model of we own Sunday nights. We want people to have that as something they look forward to all week long that start their week by talking about it. Uh, you know, that's why we thought it was so strange after winning time that there was sort of the six weeks of, of, you know, there was the Gilded Age, which didn't quite, not that, not in terms of quality at all, but didn't quite rise in terms of level of discourse as some of their other shows, certainly not a true detective. Um, but they sort of own this time and have stuck to that, despite the fact that everyone is just anything you want, anytime you want, wherever you want. Right. Yeah. Well, so we'll see, you know, yeah. hopefully at the very least, some of these places are going to keep making um quality shows with high production values and hopefully also doing interesting things and giving a chance to unique TV shows. And so I don't know. I don't know if I disagree with David Chase. Maybe I do. When's the last <laughs> time he made a TV show? Right. Why you watch TV? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, speaking of do TV, another thing, uh, are you um, familiar with the Duplass brothers? So familiar with this, yes, the Duplass brothers. I, I read this thing that you sent over here. We have a link we'll include. I read this with some real interest as to what this this new show is about. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead, because this one piqued my interest. Yeah, so this is Duplass Brothers Productions. So okay, Aslan, um, who they did, for example, Room One Hundred Four, which I don't know if you ever watched that. I wrote on the last season. Um, it was also nice that the site got some interviews and things like this. Pat uh, Armitage should interview several interviews, actually. And they also produced Somebody Somewhere, which I've mm. been writing on. And I don't know how usually popular it is. People seem to like it. Anyway, so Mark and Jay Duplass are, are 
of course, both also recognizable as actors. So that, that's just part of what I'm getting at here. The distinction between them as actors and as um, producers. And in some ways, I see this as kind of carrying forward a little bit. I don't know what, what they've always done in a certain way, that they've decided to produce this TV series, Penelope, independently. Um, I believe they're showing it at Sundance and shopping it around. Yeah, th it, this is interesting to me. And I don't know, I have to admit, I don't know enough about, I, I know about the film side of Sundance, but I guess you can go shop around a, apparently it's you shop around a pilot but they've done out of their own pocket eight episodes of this of this show it would seem yeah they've already made it that's already. ambitious i love it the, the, i think what you sent over said something about you know we didn't push in a five dollar chip with this we had to go to the atm machine we took out all our money and we're all in on this this series yeah so like i mean for me the, the fact that I'm seeing these people saying that and putting mm -hmm. their production company behind it, I want to see the show. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's kind of how I feel about the two plus brothers production company. So um, looking forward to that. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully yeah. it gets picked up by someone that gets released. Yeah. <laughs> you got to imagine they already made the whole thing. If they don't get picked up by a main distributor, they'll find some way to put it out there on the internet yeah. or something so, somebody's somebody's got to grab this certainly the premise sound, sounds interesting i wouldn't be surprised if if we hear something in the near future about it yeah i imagine so uh what else you got here a couple other things here. what about um what, what are your thoughts on these whether it's a biopic bio series we have a lot of them particularly in the music uh genre lately obviously there was bohemian rhapsody we had the daisy jones and the six now we've got a new one coming to hulu on John Bon Jovi, your favorite artist. So, uh, what uh, thought thought thoughts on this one? Wait, no. Since <laughs> you mentioned Daisy Jones and the Six, that is an entirely fictional that's, band. That is that is true. That's that, true. that's a that is a different thing. Modeled um, modeled on something real, but yeah, different different altogether. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I see why you mentioned it. Um, cool. I don't know. You know, how many of these things I end up watching. Um, I do think John Bon Jovi is kind of an interesting figure. Yeah. Um, so it might be really kind of interesting. I mean, in insofar as here's what I know about John Bon Jovi, right? Like when we were kids, music was all over the place, living on a prayer oh, yeah. and kind of in that glam rock vein. You know? Yes. Um, but I have seen some things, uh, and I don't know all the details here, but I believe he's done things like operating a food kitchen mm. and and there's like a level of seriousness to john bon jovi the human being um that might be interesting to kind of dig into here um i think that's right i don't know do you know this yeah i mean i've certainly heard these things about um about him in terms of his artistry and sort of his personal things that he's he, he's involved in you know the reports that have come out basically talk about just going through the ups and downs of the bands, ups and downs of him as a musician. Uh, so we'll see what what ends up coming of this. But you know, there have been some hits with these types of projects, and there have certainly yeah. been some some misses as well. It's an interesting question for me, and I, that is unresolved in my own mind. Like, do I take John Bon Jovi seriously? <laughs> He's kind of like him with all these glam rock guys. Yep, yep. It's hard to take them seriously. You know, like the music doesn't. <laughs> doesn't feel serious you know yeah, the music yeah. feels like i don't know the dude everyone's doing cocaine 
that's the that's the trope at least that, um, yes that's certainly right that's the cliche 1980s cocaine line i'm throwing down, you know, throwing <laughs> around i have no idea if john bon jovi ever ever did cocaine i have no idea I'm not, not casting you're not, you're not reporting that here i understand yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a narc <laughs> um, uh one other thing i've got is this ai generated George Carlin special. Do you see anything about this before? I yeah, so the, this, this is absolutely fascinating. And, and certainly for the sense of how much this was discussed and debated during the strikes and how apparently these podcasters, and let you tell the story of these podcasters just on their own created this out of 50 years worth of material from George yeah, Carlin. Yeah, when did it? Yeah. Um, I have not watched any of it. Yeah, nor have I. I refuse. Yeah, I, I object on ethical grounds. Uh, reading about it, uh, I did read. Um, there were a couple of uh, quote unquote jokes in what I read, uh, and they offended me. And I don't, I don't think George Carlin would have told those jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm happy, as it were, that Kelly Carlin is suing. That's why so. His daughter, right? So the the the, the Carlin estate, as it were, is um, taking this to court, and uh, I hope they win. You know, there's kind of a lot of unsettled legal questions when it comes yeah. down to how this stuff is going to work. From my understanding of copyright law, such as it is, um, it doesn't feel to me like there's going to be wiggle room. Uh, really when it comes down to this but maybe we'll we'll see the courts say hey look this is a new thing you can't apply these 19th century rules to the new thing uh who knows yeah it, so it, the the piece in the hollywood reporter that talks about this I, I think the most important thing that i took away from it was that there are no federal statutes that prohibit this there are some states trying to do things there are things that are currently being passed through uh through the house and through congress to try to something called the no ai fraud act but there is nothing explicitly that prevents this at this point if george carlin's stand up and his voice and his work is in public domain as it exists everywhere you know on youtube and other other places there's nothing to stop these folks from downloading all of that turning it into an ai learned voice um program and churning out new material there doesn't seem to be a legal ground for them to stand on, but there seems to be some First Amendment things that they can focus on. So it's just kind of convoluted how they'll approach this from both sides. Yeah, it is. And there's a broader issue of play, you know. But I, the thing is, I don't know that stuff's in the public domain. Like, because because it's widely available on the Internet, it doesn't mean it's in true. the public domain. If they took copyrighted comedy albums... Mm. And mm -hmm. fed it in, right? That that's, that's the right. thing. The the incredibly straightforward ruling yeah. that would shut all of this down would be that it's copyright infringement because of the stuff you fed in in the first place, right? And I think even OpenAI themselves said recently in court <laughs> that if you decided that way, you would be shutting our company down, right? Right. So, you know. People have a variety of views on this, and I don't want to get into arguments with people. Personally, yeah. I'd be pretty okay with that, but yeah. one does kind of feel like, in one way or another, the law needs to get more nuanced. 
Yes, um, yes. And uh, we'll see what happens there. For the and, moment, and I, lo I love the quote from his daughter here at the end of this this piece. This is the irony of all this. My father was such a unique thinker. He said to people, "Think for yourself." And here are these people absorbing his material to try and think like him. It's the ultimate zombification of a human life. I thought that was a good, good line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Maybe it's, it's it's a weird kind of moral sentiment, but I think people tend to share it. To me, this is pissing on his grave. Mm -hmm. This is this desecration uh, or, or something like that. And um, I'm, I almost want to rule that out more than... Yeah. doing things with people who are alive because he can't consent and uh, it's all messing. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that lawsuit. Definitely something I'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah. Why don't we uh, get to say a couple other things? Why don't we move on and see what we're, what we're consuming this week besides true detective. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of things. You ever, we'll start here. Have you caught up on Celebrity Jeopardy? I'm not caught all, all the way up yet. I've started, but I'm not caught up. All right. No, no spoilers. You know, we can be very careful. You'll find show. spoilers in the world at this point. The finale <laughs> of the tournament was this week. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I saw some people like getting mad at Jimmy Kimmel. Like, you had spoilers because you, you said who your guest was going to be. And we put <laughs> two and two together. I just want to say to those people... That's, it's not a spoiler when you have to make inferences like there yeah. to be some rules here. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I watched the finale of that, and uh, I'll leave it there since you haven't seen it. Um, what about you? Yeah, the, in addition to you know what we're talking about today, um, you know, I, I'm one of these guys. I, I love Top Chef. I love Great British Baking Show. I've told you these are sort of my stress relief shows. The funniest one that you can watch, though, is Next Level Chef. Have you ever seen this one? This is a Gordon Ramsay. I Ryan don't production. believe that I have. No. Okay, so the premise of this is there are whatever twenty chefs, and they're broken into three teams, and they get put on one of three levels depending on a variety of things. First level is like this crappy kitchen with crappy appliances and crappy supplies. Then it's kind of mid level, and then it's an elite stuff. And so how you cook you get moved to the different levels right i see but what the, so the funny thing about this show is so you're timed so you you create a dish and you're timed and the platform upon which you set your dish when you're done rises from the first level to the second level second level to the third level everybody puts their dish on there and then they're all judged at the end so there is the hilarity of these elite chefs spending an hour and a half on a dish and then literally sprinting and like throwing it on top of this thing as it rises up to the next level and just ruining their dish completely it's like it, there is a, a component of this that's unlike anything you've seen in a cooking show before well they just completely ruin what they've done by you know having to sprint at the last second throw things on the, on the thing so they at least get some credit for it oh, so it, it, it's a it's a it's a funny just you know mindless uh entertaining cooking show if that's one of the things that you like to, to fall asleep to which i certainly do yeah it sounds pretty entertaining um one other thing that i have to i want to follow up on the sexy beast show i did watch the beginning I, yes. I, I put out a review we put out a review of the first three episodes here yesterday um i don't know that it's terribly good 
<laughs> um, but I mean, it was like in line with what I was saying before. Like this film does not need a prequel series. What are you doing? Yeah. Why are you making this prequel series? Right. That was the point I made when this was hitting our radar before. And I thought, well, I have to see what they did. You know. Um, so for me, for someone like me, who's not consumed any of it. I should just go watch the film and just leave it at that. Probably, although okay. I said, I, I, I mean. This prequel series, in my review, I called it fan fiction. Yeah, I said I didn't want to. I hope you don't think that's demeaning. It maybe is a little demeaning. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. You might like this TV show more if you haven't seen the film. Yeah, like, okay. like anything about you, like wants to watch this show, you might actually get more pleasure by watching the show and then, like, then going to watch the film and then um, watch the film because yeah, you know, I mean. But you know, come on, you're asking. How can you ask actors to embody performances given by people like Ben Kingsley and Ian McShane? Like, how can you do that? You know, I, I don't think anyone could have lived up to the characters in the film for me. And you, you, you mentioned this. I think this is not a Better Call Saul situation. These are other actors playing younger versions of the characters in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. In, in the okay. show, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, the film came out like twenty four years ago. So yeah, means, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's out there. If you have you watched it? Uh, I wrote a little bit on it. I don't know them to write more on it. I think it's airing weekly from this point for eight episodes, but okay. I'm not really recommending it. But, okay. You know, I mean, I would say <laughs> that's what I needed to hear. <laughs> uh, if you are a fan of the film, yes, then you might want to hear about it. So uh, I don't know, following up on that a little bit. Um, but all right, so let's get to True Detective, eh? Absolutely. All right, so here is your spoiler warning that on the other side of a brief musical interlude. We will be talking about True Detective Night Country Part 3 with spoilers. Everything's on the table <laughs> up to this point, maybe from earlier up, uh, seasons of True Detective. Probably not a whole lot on this one, but, but potentially if it comes up. And um, yeah, we'll see you on the, on the other side. All right, welcome back. It's time to talk about True Detective Night Country, Season 4, Part 3, directed by Issa Lopez, written by Issa Lopez and Alan Page Ariaga. Uh, quite a bit happening in this episode. We start with Hank Pryor recruiting a group of renegade civilians to try and track down Raymond Clark, who was identified in the last episode as a prime suspect of both Annie and the researchers. Murders, Dammers, and Navarro do not agree with his approach to doing this, do not agree with the people that he's having to, to use use for the search and certainly make it known to him. Um, his son, Pete Pryor, asks Danvers about the case that drove her and Navarro apart. And we get sort of a cryptic uh, version of this story that may not have all the details. We'll certainly dig into that in, the, in, in a few minutes. Uh, but going through the evidence from the Raymond Clark trailer, Amber Zambaro learn about a hairdresser that Annie used to identify someone else who used to work at 
uh, Salal Research Station as an operator. His name is Oliver. Um, meanwhile, a vet that Pete knows is called in to look at the corpsicle, as it's become known in the in the circles these days, and decides that these men must not have died from being frozen in the ice. They must have died before, based on a number of things that he can identify. So at the same time, Lund, who's been in the hospital in a coma, wakes up. They rush to him, but before he passes away, all he can do is say something cryptic to Navarro about her mom. And so that's left as a mystery to us. Um, at the same time, Pete finds a video um, after opening Annie's phone that shows her right before she died. Uh, not much there, but we can dig into sort of what we have seen there and what mysteries that opens. And then all along, there's this continued confrontation between the town, the natives, the miners, the people in the, that live in Ennis, Alaska, and Navarro's stepdaughter, Leah, joins one of the movements protesting the mine at work, which infuriates Danvers, even though she can start to see some of the ways that this mine is affecting their town. A lot here, mm-hmm. but we'll just kind of start with a big question, um, okay. which is... Um, particularly because of the connections that last week made to season one of True Detective. We don't really have those this this week necessarily. Uh, they opened up a lot of boxes um, that we don't get to really explore this week. But there's a, quite a bit of, of commentary out there from Isa Lopez saying that she had this idea for this story uh, that's being told right now. She was shopping at HBO, said they wanted to do it, but they were also in the process of thinking about a new season of True Detective. Would she be able to mold the story into a True Detective season? Now that we're halfway through, does this seem to you like a true detective season? Is there something that you can use to identify what a true detective season is? And does this sort of fit that mold for you? So I would say yes. And I think it's an interesting question in terms of the details of, well, what was the idea before it became true detective? Um, So I'm going to refer to a few things here. And then I guess... Yeah. There's a related question of like, well, how long, how well does it work? You know, yes. do you feel like, yes. are you trying to make this story a true detective story? Clearly, okay, but how well does it work? So, I mean, we mentioned previously some rather explicit connections to season one, the spiral and all of that. You're pointing out that, all right, now in this episode, not really, but thematically, stylistically, yeah, yes. Right. Uh, insofar as, well, a couple of things that will come to mind for me. For one, we get uh, Danvers and Navarro driving the car to talk together and they start <laughs> having a conversation about God stuff. Right. Um, and well, there's a lot of that in season one between yes. um, our protagonists there kind of hitting on, I don't know, more metaphysical type stakes. Yeah. Um, and really setting up Danvers as um, Lisa Skeptic, you know, and uh, Navarro as um, more person of faith. The she other la- thing laughs in Navarro's face when she tells her that she prays. Yeah. She's <laughs> why you talk to God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's some resonances there, some yeah. resonances of these, you know, not going as far as Rust Cole in um, season one. Which I was rewatching a little bit. You know, there's mm-hmm. a scene where Marty's like, "Don't say weird stuff like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stop it. Stop." He's like, "Well, you ask." 
Denver, um, trying, Denver trying to guess if it's the chupacabra and she can't remember what the word for chupacabra is. <laughs> <Chupaloo. laughs> um, the other thing that you mentioned is, and sorry, I started getting ahead of myself. The other thing which you mentioned was in the flashback, as it were, when Danvers is telling Pete about what happened on this Wheeler case, which was the last mm -hmm. case that she and Navarro worked together. And you get the story about how he is abusing his wife, but she wouldn't, um, you know, testify against him. And so it kept happening and they kind of could foresee where it goes. And she's telling Pete how they got there and he had killed his wife, but he also killed himself. And they were both dead when they got there. And yet we see on our screen with our own two eyes them showing up and the guy turning and laughing and he's very much still alive. Mm -hmm. That disjunction was something that was all over the place in season one. Yeah. Yeah. This, and I think that that is one of the things that resonated with me is so much that the, the way that it was portrayed, captured and told to the audience season one, this idea of a narrative of we're being interviewed you know, Marty and, and Russ being interviewed. Here's the events that happened in terms of what we're telling you. And let's show you what actually happened. So, so this, this story of Navarro and Danvers going to the house of the abuser and finding that situation, her telling Pete Pryor that they found a murder-suicide, what actually happened was we are left to deduce he killed his wife. They retaliate and set up some type of, you know, they kill him, set up some kind of suicide this is sort of very clear season one um, parallel path here. Yeah. So I do have a question there. Which one killed him? Yeah. Um, because then they have the radical falling out and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Other question, tying it back to where you started here. How much does it matter? How much does this bit of the story matter? How much does this flashback with Wheeler yeah. matter? Um because it is an instance where they are clearly playing with that kind of style of season one in particular, where, you know, you had Marty and Rust separately being yeah. interrogated in the in the present, as it were, about what happened in the past. But we see, and I always thought this was very interesting about True Detective season one, how uh, it really stood out to me as a show that, that played with this. And I'm sure there are other examples yeah. But it plays with how when you're watching a television show, what you see is given um like ontological priority. Yes. Right. Like what you're seeing is what really happened. What they're saying is not, right? And that we default in that way. There have been some other shows and movies that have played with this sort of thing in other ways. Um and maybe this episode too, actually. I don't know. I have another thought or a question we'll get to uh, yeah. step time. I, I think even the structure, because I've been going back in my head back and forth about whether I feel like um, that this is, particularly with seasons one and three, sort of this fits the mold of a true detective season, right? And I, I find myself thinking about that a, a lot. And I think that these two are separated detectives falling out. That's obviously a very common theme amongst the seasons. But then the the ways that they are coming back together reluctantly, the ways that they are trying to work together reluctantly reminds me a lot, frankly, of Hayes and West from season three, 
when yeah. those two detectives came back together after so many years after someone from a case re- reappears. Um, and so I just sort of get a sense that, as you said, thematically, um, certainly in terms of the big ideas, this is very much a true detective um, season to me. Um, I, I think in some ways it's just the setting and the constant, maybe the constant darkness Maybe just for something as simple as in my brain of this being the first time that there are two female detectives as opposed to it just kind of has been disorienting me is, okay, is this really what true detective is? But I find myself thinking more and more that, yeah, they, they seem to be building this story the same way as at least seasons one, one and three. Yeah. I mean, you know, I find myself thinking back to something I think you said in our first one of these about it being almost the opposite or inverse of, yes. of season one. Yes, I, I think there's something to that. Yeah, it said that's something Isa Lopez said has said that she intentionally did was to make it the opposite sort of reflection in a mirror of season one. Yes, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the story just real quick, just real quick on the story about the um, the case where they had their their falling out reminds you of um, Walter White and Mike Carmen Trout half measures story. That's what uh, first mind. I, th- I thought we were going to get a sort of a beat for beat. Um, I would never let this happen again. I should have taken the full measure when I should have taken the half measure. And in the end, it looks like they did take the full measure. Oh, yeah, they killed that guy. But <laughs> if you say they, again, I, I couldn't help but sit there wondering which yeah. one of them, because I'm imagining this is when they're having their big falling out. Yeah. So what makes the most sense? Yeah. Um. Danvers kills him. Tells Navarro that they're going to say it was a suicide. She chafes at that and doesn't want to go along, gets pushed out. Or Navarro kills him. Danvers is like, hey, you can't do that kind of thing and work here. Uh, I'll cover for you. But you got it, could be either one. It could could be either one. My money is on. Danvers, the more, um, I would say, explosive of the two, the more, uh, the superior of the two. Uh, Navarro seems to be much more about let's let's bring someone in front of us so we can have justice for things that have been done. Um, you know, desperate to find the person that took Annie's life. I, I again, I could be completely wrong, and it might just be a 50-50 at this point. But I, my money's on on Danvers having done it, and then. As you said, Navarro being unwilling to to stay there and go along with the story, so we're we're shipping you somewhere else. Yeah. Also, maybe 50-50 on whether we find out. Exactly. Again, like it does this connect up with anything else. Although we were talking about this a bit before, too. In rewatching season one a bit, there's a whole lot of stuff about their personal lives, actually. It's right. all over the place, right? So um similarly here. The show is as much about that as about the case. Uh, and that's another way maybe in which it does actually feel like true detective. Yeah, we get into a lot of that this episode. Anything on that you want to um, touch on? Whether uh, we get some stuff with Navarro's mom and sister in this, um, this episode. Uh, quite a bit, actually. Both sister and mom. Some backstory and for what's happening now. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the stuff with um, regard to Navarro's mother. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we get a few things in different places here in terms of information. Yeah. Uh, they were in Boston. Um, her father was abusive. Her mother brought the them to Alaska, I guess. Yes. Um, away, yeah. But she says that her mother was murdered, but they never caught the guy. But then there's also some weird indication that her mother went out on the ice and disappeared or something like this. Yeah. Um, she's upset about not knowing her name i'm sorry i can't say that do you have it the i no, i i, I didn't even <laughs> attempt to be first of all on on the screeners we have there was no subtitles on this on this yeah. one so i didn't want to attempt to make a wrong attempt there um but that comes up later when they're seeing oliver he wants to know yeah her native name as it were yes. and so they're getting this backstory that apparently she doesn't know right um her mother had a history of mental illness we already sort of knew that uh we're seeing that with her sister who has said several times she's not like mom but kind yeah. of clearly seems to be like mom so what's going on here schizophrenia or, or something perhaps mm -hmm. we haven't been told um and let me go ahead and take this in the direction of the scene in the hospital because I have a question here. Yeah. Right? As I've already said, it is not at all plausible to me that this guy Lund survived as long as he did. Put that to the side, we're watching TV. Okay, don't worry about that. But <laughs> they come and talk to him together and he mumbles, you know, some things. There's some bits in there. But the really striking thing is after Danvers has left the room and after he's been sedated by the nurse, he sits up in bed yeah in a very horror movie very vibe so. yeah and then continuing that vibe there's like a deep voice you know uh telling uh Navarro that her mother is waiting for her um did that really happen oh did it really happen yeah that's an interesting question because we get this scene earlier in the episode where Navarro, it's like she slipped on the ice. But that's where it took that is she hit her head and went to this hallucinatory state if she was in like a desert for a minute or two. Um, so did that actually happen? Oh, that's yeah. a great question. I think that it, there's no sort of continuity break between what we see there and we see him lay back down and then go into, I guess, cardiac arrest and he dies at that moment. So I took it, yes, this, yeah. this, that this literally happened. Um, but are we getting clues that Navarro is more like her sister and her mom than we think? Uh, that's a great question. Right? Because, see, at first I took it as happening, right, as we were talking about yeah. just a moment ago. We're conditioned such that what we see, you presume, okay, that is really real. But Navarro is the only one who experiences this. Yes. You've got a history within her family of hallucinations and so on, it would seem. Um, it seems. And then she doesn't mention it. Now, yeah. I mean, of course, she's immediately distracted by Annie Kay's phone also. Right. Um, so I don't know. I just want to point out the question, I guess. I don't know if there's a real answer here, but I think there is a question. 
yeah, there is a theme here sort of starting with even last episode with the sort of the speech that Rose gives about, you know, I think the world is old and I think where Ennis is where it's coming apart in the seams. And so the things that we think are real and the things that are, uh, that we sense is are true versus false or sort of that line is being blurred here where we are. Um, that theme is coming out here. And if that's the case, yeah, I'm not considered that, but that wouldn't surprise me that um, Navarro has this family history. We are inundated with that in this episode that we sort of get clues of she's experiencing that as well. And that comes out. I think that is something that would come out later if that, that in fact is the case. Yeah. Or at least there's enough space for the um, deflationary Danvers explanation Mm -hmm. You know, again, I don't know about with regard to the idea that this guy survived frozen for a couple days, but yeah. that we just have to put to the side. But, you know, it is very much like, why would he be talking about her mother? They sedated him. There's nothing plausible about what happens there, really. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I had a hard trouble, hard time rec reconciling the fact that this vet that Pete brings in says, oh, they died before they got to the ice. They died before they froze here. But Lund is, you know, forget the fact that he was in the elements for however long and still alive, that he did not die before he got to the ice. He was yeah. found found alive. So I had a hard time sort of reconciling. That's a nice question, too. That, you know, again, there are plenty of people who witnessed Lund awake and making these noises and going crazy and having to sedate him. So it's not all in Navarro's head or not just experienced yeah. by Navarro. So yeah, that's just something, you know. Apparently you know, he survived and went to the hospital and got some amputations and, you know, all yeah. of that seems pretty well established. But you're right. I mean, of course, our source here is like Pete's cousin or Pete's cousin's cousin. friend or, or, or something. His name is Vince, uh, who's a vet. Um, uh, I did like the moment when Danvers asked if he could do maybe just a little postmortem. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't think she was kidding. Actually, yeah. she she, she goes, "Oh, of course I'm kidding. That would be totally illegal." Uh, but uh, you know, so his judgment is that they died before they froze because if they died from the freezing itself, well, I've seen animals die that way. It's very sort of peaceful death. Yeah. Um, these guys are frozen in a state of you know, terror. Yeah. Uh, so we're hypothesizing that they they died prior to freezing. But uh, we don't know what happened still. And then we've got very little forward movement on um, Raymond Clark, uh, the prime suspect in this episode. Yeah, I mean, that even. almost nothing happened there um, this episode. And it's, it, it, you know, it almost seemed to me like they were trying to say that's staying over there with Hank while we move on to this other guy, Oliver, who was at the, who was at the station, um, who knew Raymond knew about this relationship. Um, so, I mean, we kind of hypothesized last week that Raymond Clark is, you know, that early in the season is a bit of a red herring. Yeah, sure. Maybe he did some things, but is this the ultimate sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, big bad of the, of the season? Um, probably not. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, of course, they are tracking down Oliver, trying to track down Raymond. They're yep. doing it that way and object to what Hank is doing, getting all of the hillbillies, as Danvers calls them, to go search, <laughs> which yeah, I would object to that, too, probably. Um, particularly when Navarro says, they want him alive, and Hank goes, do we? 
Do we? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Um, what do you think about uh, this guy, Oliver, though? So the connection is that they find the photo, takes him to the hairdresser. The hairdresser ultimately fesses up that um, she didn't know Raymond Clark. She took Annie with her to do cut the guy's hair at Slaw. Mm-hmm. Um Annie and Raymond had an affair, but she was having an affair with this guy, Oliver. Yeah. Where is he? Yeah. Oh, he quit right before Annie was murdered. Right. That's what she says. And doesn't and want to be found and is off the grid and is all of this, all of this stuff. Yeah. And disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Um she seems almost a little too understanding of that, in my opinion. It's like <laughs> it went after your uh, boyfriend. Disappeared. <laughs> You know, uh, did, did it happen to be right before Eddie got murdered? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, so you you predicted a couple of weeks ago that something in this mystery has to do with the impact of the mines or the environmental things that are happening here, and I think that we have to now combine that with what's being done at the research station for some combination of what they're studying, what they're doing, what they're uncovering, being not integrated, but somehow conflated with what's happening at the mine that's poisoning people mm-hmm. is, you know, causing a bigger problem than just a few guys in the ice. Like this is, you know, a much bigger deal. And Oliver knows about it. Raymond found out about it. These were the guys studying it. Um, so there's something and, at play here. And what we were told from the geology teacher or whatever he teaches, whatever his name was, sorry, yeah. random guy we may not see again <laughs> um he, he said something about microbes in the ice that would um like cure any disease or i don't yes. forget exactly how he put it right They're, these are cells who do not um cells that do not um have any denigration to them something like that there's some kind of yeah, there was some kind of indicating like it's going to cure cancer and all illness yeah. in the world, but you can't get it out of the ice. Yeah. You know, it was, it was something like that line again. Yeah, put realism to the side on that, but yeah. that would be interesting if the uh, uh, if that gets tied in and in some way. Uh, what if all the other guys in the corpus will also wake up now? We've got zombies. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we're going to go that far. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. Um... For as skeptical as she is and as practical, she even says in that car conversation, there's a real explanation to all of this. She, I don't think Danvers was necessarily understanding the depth or the magnitude of what's happening to the people in this town. But she sees while she's at the home of the people who lost the baby, had a stillborn baby, she washes her hand with like black water that's coming out of the sink. Um, so she's getting a sense that... Um, whether you know whether the connection has been made at the research station, probably not. But there is something serious happening as a result of this this mine, which is then why, of course, she absolutely freaks out at Leah when she sees that she's getting involved in in that type of you know the, the protest that's happening there. Well, I mean, I think she also says to Navarro, she, she believes that the mine. Well, Navarro says the people running the mine killed Annie, right? But. Danvers points out, look, it's just like half the town um, employed here if the mine goes under, you know. Yeah. And she says something like, look, half the town has yeah. a stake in that mine. It could be one way or the other. So um, 
But I want to mention also with this guy, Oliver, because I do find him. They tell him that the guys from Slaw Station are all dead. Yes. And he asks about one by name who happens to be Lund. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, my theory is were they working on something that either had some sort of healing properties, regenerative properties, something that could help save one if they were you know, someone or or prevent some things from happening to someone? Did somebody test something on Lund? Was Lund a, um, have some sort of, uh, you know, was he a, a, a case that has come out of some of their research that would prevent something like that from happening to him and why he might be shocked that that's the one he he, he brings up is, are you sure that Lund is dead other ones i find but that lund are you sure about that i just thought yeah it was very interesting yeah i mean or it could just be that you know lund was his bestest buddy yeah <laughs> uh, you don't know but it was it was noteworthy to me that it was like oh he specifically asked about the one guy who very weirdly um wasn't dead i guess he is dead now i mean we do hear him fly yeah. line and um uh, let's see that we've got the video. What else do we have to talk about here? Yeah. So what do we, so the last scene of this episode is there at the hospital where they are trying to get some information out of Lund and we see Pete because he's quote under 30 has broken uh, into, into Annie's phone. He's figured out a way to figured out a way to do it um, and comes across this video that appears to be Annie in the ice surrounded by ice. And she says, you know, my name is Annie Bartow. If you know, anyone comes across this, and then there's just these horrific screams, and video shuts shuts. Or no, we see sort of pan down the hallway as the video is is screaming, but she's off yeah. camera. We don't yeah. see what's happen happening yeah. to her. And that's sort of how the episode ends. And very very tropey, you know, kind of. Yeah. If anything happens to me, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like immediately <laughs> after she says that, she starts screaming. And... That's yeah. fine. It's fine. It works. But no clear um, indication of where she was, who was in a video with her that we saw in this episode. Um, but certainly there was a record of this before clearly something traumatic happened to her. You know, it's it couldn't help but have me think that okay, something happened something happened to her while she's next to ice, but they didn't find her in ice like the guys from the research station. They found her like in a storage container, you know beaten and and assaulted um so some differences there but um you know we may be dealing with a sense of it was a who for annie and a what for these other guys yeah i don't know and she was stabbed like a certain oh, yeah. number of times like 28 times or something and yeah. i think it was yeah. like a 32 um, i think it was i don't know if that's going to be important we'll <laughs> yeah. look up the number all right um and I think it was like star shaped, and that was one thing that I saw some people pointing to as a as at least a callback. Um, we're left with a cliffhanger there, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, the other big question is on this whole thought of who she is, right? This uh, she's awake. Yeah, we've. I mean, this is from the very first few minutes of the first episode. Um, I believe we hear Lund say something about she when he's screaming before they sedate him um so what this is how is it related to these deaths how is it related to the 
caribou we see at the beginning of the very first scene in the in the series um what is this she and does it again relate back at all to this idea that you know this rose of kind of soothsayer where she can see that something mystical evil is coming from this area and is penetrating some of the people and and, and animals that live in this area yeah i don't know yeah. is it navarro's mother probably not um is it the primordial she that pre-exists <laughs> the ordered cosmos yeah. that's where i my, think my, uh what rose, put my chips on right when rose is discussing the spiral she says that it represents something that's older than the ice yeah so i think that we've got that in our in, in the back of our minds as well as we look through all this yeah what was before the beginning yeah exactly yeah. um yeah, that goes back, you know, I, I think I um, wrote a little bit about this in my part two recap is what's before the beginning is sort of this idea of light versus dark. There was only dark and eventually the light began to penetrate it. This is kind of the ending of, of True Detective Season 1, some of the conversations that they're having. Um, but the light might have won in certain places, but certainly it's not won completely. So it's in this one of these places as it's now dark completely. Is the mm -hmm. is, is that what's winning in this, you know, in this part of the world? Well, you have this thought that related to that, if you want to take it this way, the dark comes first, right? right. There is the darkness, and then let yeah. there be light. Let there be light. Yep. Right. Um, what comes before the light? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything was dark, I guess. You know, so <laughs> I mean, I think it does tie in, if you're right. I mean. Season one hits that over and over again, kind of light versus dark and all of that sort of thing. So exactly. Really curious. And it's to it's see. very interesting if you go back and watch season one, that is the conversation of how that season ends. Right. This is not a this is not going to spoil season one in any way, but just this conversation that there was darkness. Now we see some of these stars and and Marty points out that, you know, if you ask me, it looks like the light's starting to win. Yeah. Well, right. It doesn't exist where they are now in NS Alaska. So <laughs> is it can the light win at all when it doesn't exist? Yeah. Well, you probably see stars, but yeah, now, you know, anyway, anyway, it's dark all the time. The sun's, <laughs> not, sun's not shining, you know, it's night for you know, whatever, you know, right. 60 days or whatever. Um, yeah, good. So I'm really curious to see where this goes. You know, we're, we're halfway through, which doesn't feel right to me, but, you know, I guess they're going to, make progress here over the next three hours and yeah six is what they wanted i hope i hope they got what they wanted i i hope so too i mean no other true detective season is fewer than eight episodes so we're gonna really fly through some things i think yeah i think so um all right well i think that about does it for this one uh so thanks for joining us as always we will be back uh each sunday night with uh, kind of this recap and analysis pod on uh, True Detective and with the news and notes up front. So um, I hope you'll just keep joining us. Uh, next week, we go to part four. Um, yeah. In the meantime, you feel free to, you know, check out tvobsessive.com, read some articles. You can read Brian's written articles on the season of True Detective, other stuff on previous seasons of True Detective you can find on there and on other shows. Um, check out the YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. I'm kind of trying to push that at this point. Um, the podcast episodes will show up there, and then we're also putting up 
some like audiovisual versions of written articles. We'll see how that goes. People are into it. Follow the site on social media, search for TV Obsessive. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week. All right. Part four next week. See you then.